Welcome to Setsang. Hello Vishrant. Can you please talk about the topic? What would you do if there was no tomorrow? <laughs> there is no tomorrow. There is only now. So there's nothing to do. People live in this illusion uh, that they have a later, that there's a future. The same as they live in an illusion that there's been a past. It's all memory and projection and neither are real. What's real is this moment and only this moment. And so what would I do if everything ended tomorrow? How would I know? I'm here now. <laughs> that would be me guessing. I'm not interested in guessing. I love the moment. I love this preciousness of the pristineness of this moment, polluting it with some fear or some joy of what's going to happen later, why would I want to do that? Whenever I say goodbye to someone, that's it. Whenever I leave a room, that's it. I'm, what, I don't know if I'm ever coming back I don't, and I don't care. There's no freedom in living in projections of tomorrow. There's no freedom in living in memories of the past. These are just videos that people play in their heads that aren't real. This moment is real. What's happening now is real and only what's happening now is real. <laughs> so when I'm asked, what would I do if everything ended tomorrow? I'm already finished. I'm here. This moment, this moment, this moment. <laughs> Give up the projections. Give up the memories. Be here now. Enjoy living in the moment rather than living in your head. Because there's nothing at all real about living in your head. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Whatever has happened has happened. It's all gone. Be here now. Enjoy this beautiful moment without polluting it. Any questions? Any statements? Any challenges to this teaching today? The first question is as follows. Why do people live in the illusion of a tomorrow? <laughs> You're asking me why. My observation is they do. Uh, why they do, there would probably be a myriad of reasons. I fell in love with the, the moment when I was a kid. I fell in love with it when I was diving, when I was riding bikes, when I was doing gymnastics, when I was doing martial arts, when I was playing rugby. I fell in love with the beautifulness of this moment then. And I've never fallen out of love with it. 
I went to school like everybody else for about 12 years where they tried to teach me to live in my head, but I just didn't have an interest. If you really want to live, you live in the moment. You don't live in your head. And when you look at suffering, suffering's all in your mind as well. Same as fear is all in your mind. It's not real. If you're in the moment, everything's okay. It's only when you move to your head and you start procrastinating, worrying, remembering, that's when you get problems. Right here, right now, it's pretty good. Next, we have Angelos, who would like to ask you a question. Hello, Angelos. Hello, Wilson. Nice to meet you. Uh, all the things that you say ring so true to me. Like, you've helped me so much the last few couple of weeks, actually, that I've come across you. And uh, the way I came across you as well is very, was very profound for me uh, through Beloved Osho. Uh, and, you know, these three, three, four things that you talk about, the practice of meditation, being in the real, you know, real world, real time, what you just been explaining, basically, no fantasies, no memories, uh, self-inquiry, and also openness, the practice of openness. I've been, I've been making as my way of uh, being. So I'd like to ask you a question uh, regarding where I'm at. Uh, for somebody who's who's found bigness, and uh, I can see the, the simplicity of it, uh, just the immediacy of it, uh, how easy it is to to be that, but also I keep going back and forth, back and forth. Okay. But through. Through those last uh, weeks, with your help, it's been so much easier to see things so much clearer. So I guess the question is, how do I, do I just keep doing that? Do I just keep practicing these three steps, these two wings you talk about? Thank you. Well, one of the wings is the love affair with truth. Uh, and the other wing is the, the discipline that's required to train the mind to support truth. Um, so there are two wings that I mentioned. But what people tend to miss out on is the love affair with truth. And when you love someone, when you really, really love someone, you give them everything. You give them your totality. And this is actually what's required for someone to wake up and stay awake. The mind of that person gives itself totally to truth or God because it's in love with it. And so 
without that, it's a little difficult, no matter how much discipline you might have and how good you are at self-inquiry or meditation or even openness. Really, truly, it's the love affair in the end that makes the difference, Angelo. This willingness to die for truth, this willingness to give your all for truth, because truth or God is now the beloved. And that's the bit that I think people struggle with. They don't actually fall in love with truth enough and give themselves to truth or God, whatever you want to call it. But there's really nothing else that's worth doing here. I mean, truth or God is what we are. And if we're not willing to be total with that, well, we don't get to live as truth. We don't get to live as beingness. We get to live as an ego. That's not even who we are, a false self. But the false self can give itself to truth. And in that giving, in that totality of surrender, it dies, it drops. And then there is just witnessing. There is just this that is aware. And the other thing has dropped. But it takes a totality. It can't be done partially. There is no such thing as selfish enlightenment. The eye drops. The one that wants to wake up drops. And then that that's aware finds itself. Awareness aware of itself continuously is enlightenment. But it really hasn't got much to do with the ego, the eye. The eye, is a, the eye just has to have a love affair with truth. And in that love affair, it gives its totality. And that works. Nothing else works. I hope that helps, Angela. That definitely, definitely helps. And uh, this this love affair is something I had since I was a kid. But uh, I feel I feel there's a uh, climax to it. And, uh, through your your presence, I guess it's as simple as that. Because I've seen you, I've seen your videos. But uh, I've, I've happened to catch last Saturday, I think it was uh, like 20 minutes, first time I saw you live. And this time, obviously, I get a chance to speak to you. And uh, I definitely feel this energy, this connection, this. So, yeah. Angelo, I fell in love with my, my teachers first because they were representing God. They were representing beingness. I fell in love with Osho. And in that love affair, I gave myself to Osho. And in that, I started to disappear as an I. Now, he wasn't available to even talk to because he had so many disciples, you know, thousands and thousands. But in that love affair, I became humble. And in, in humility, there is an absence of the I. Is there a way that I can spend more time with you? Well, you're spending time with me now. You must yes. remember, there is no tomorrow. <laughs> I, appreciate that. I appreciate that. There is only now. <laughs> Thank you. If you wanted to spend more time, I, I do run a private mystery school. And um, the guy that's uh, organizing this webinar, Tosh, 
handles all that, you could contact him. You probably already have at some point and, and ask him what else is going on and he'll, he'll fill you in. I, I don't handle those details. Um, I only do one public set saying a week, which is on a Friday. And I do this worldwide webinar, which is public. The rest of the time I spend with my disciples uh, and I holding satsang, but it's a lot more uh, intense than just question and answer. It's actually a proper mystery school. Yeah, I, I will. I will talk to Tosh about it. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>
but in the willingness to feel that wounding and remain open, love started to appear. I think it's always here, but we're so close we don't perceive it. It's here now. I hope that helps. The following question has been asked by a viewer. True letting go involves a great trusting. What do we trust in and how does one do that? <laughs> yeah, trust is something people don't do. They say, I will trust this or I'll trust you, but there's conditions on it as long as. But that's not trust. True trust is stepping into the unknown without looking. True trust is in itself a surrender. And it's very difficult for us to learn trust, true trust, because it's against survival. And our mind and our bodies are basically survival mechanisms that are programmed to control, manipulate, to stay safe. True trust is the most beautiful thing. It's like stepping through the unknown and into the unknown without any care for safety whatsoever. And it's in this willingness to trust, this willingness to surrender, that enlightenment can occur. People who can't trust, people who can't trust, have a lot of problems raising their consciousness levels. Because even if we look at acceptance, acceptance itself demands a certain level of trust. And so it's, uh, it, it's not a common practice for people to genuinely trust. Yet if you're interested in higher consciousness, you have to trust. It's a part of the deal. It goes hand in hand with surrender. The next question has been written by Anna. How can you plan a wedding living in the now? <laughs> you can't. Well, you can in the moment, can't you? <laughs> in the moment, you can plan a wedding. But to do that, you've got to enter your head and, and plot a plan for the future. That's true. The thing is, most people, they plan a wedding, which takes you know, a certain amount of time. And then they live in their head, procrastinating it over and over and over again, right up to the date when the wedding happens. And then while they're having their wedding, they're worried about and concerned well, what's going to happen after because they have a habit of living in their heads, constantly plotting and planning. My point is, don't do that. If you want to have a wedding, make a plan. It could take you a certain amount of time. When the time comes, execute the plan. Don't procrastinate it. Don't live in your head. Be here now. We all have to make plans from time to time to do things, but we don't need to live in our heads, constantly procrastinating those plans. We can be present to reality and enjoy this beautiful moment instead of living in our heads, worrying or concerned about what might or might not happen later. 
make a plan, then let it go until it's time to execute the plan, and then execute the plan. This is a good way to operate. The following question has been written by Anna. I'm with you on Wednesday at 8.30am and this must have been planned. How does this relate to living in the now? So, Anna, I got up this morning at, at about 8, eight o'clock, sometime around that. Uh, I uh, was reminded by Tosh that we had a meeting on this morning. Uh, I had given it no thought up until that point. And after that point, I didn't give it any thought until I had to get the computer going. Because I'm just not interested in living in a head, plotting and planning anything. If I have to make a plan, it only takes a few seconds usually. Then I put it down. Then I'm here. It's like we developed a habit, unfortunately, of living in our minds. So we make a plan and then we procrastinate it. We work out the details. We're concerned about it. We're worried about it. We have a lot of future projections going on. We don't need to do that. We can just make a plan, drop it, then execute the plan when it's time. So at about 20 past uh, eight, I came into this room, turned everything on, made sure all the equipment was working, executed the plan, in other words. Then I get asked a question about uh, what, I'm, what, what, what happens if it all ends tomorrow. Well, who knows? We don't know. I don't know. And I don't care. There's only now. Really, this is it. If you live in your head worried about later constantly, you're giving yourself a hell of a life. There's no, there's no beauty in worrying about the future. And as Francis of Assisi said, no amount of worry can make you an inch taller. He must have been a short man. When you're a little girl, you lived in the moment, mostly, and then you went to school and you learned how to live in your head. As adults, we have this opportunity to reclaim reality from the dream that we've probably been in since we went to school and learned to live in our heads. And the methodology for that is meditation, being aware of what is real. Up to you. You're creating your reality. You want to live in your head? Nobody's going to stop you. You want to suffer in your head? No one's going to stop you. You want to live in the moment? No one's going to stop you. You create your reality. I prefer the reality of what's out here and beingness to what I think, because what I think is just repetitive rubbish. Up to you where you live. I hope that helps.
The next question has been written by a viewer. It keeps on happening that for a couple of weeks, I maintain a strict discipline, and then I move to the other extreme for a couple of weeks, and then again maintain a strict discipline. Why does this keep happening, and why can't I maintain dis discipline forever? Ah, simple. You give yourself choices. You got to look at what discipline is. Discipline's very simple. You don't give yourself a choice. The moment you give yourself a choice, more than likely the ego will take the easy way out. That's what it does. Someone who has what we'd call a highly disciplined mind is just someone who doesn't give themselves a choice. That's all. And so as a meditator, I gave myself no choice. I meditated every day. When I was self-inquiring, I gave myself no choice. I self-inquired for hours every day. When I decided to practice openness, which was probably one of the better things I ever did, I gave myself no choice. No matter what happened, if I found myself contracted, I was more interested in opening up than I was in being right. Because I was into openness. I gave myself no choice. And it's this no choice that allows us to have follow through. It's this totality that allows us to get somewhere in life. And I'm not just talking about higher consciousness enlightenment or the way of the heart. I'm talking about business or sport or music or art or anything. Totality rules. Partiality usually causes failure. And you're responsible for your choices. Nobody else. It's up to you. The next question has been written by a viewer. How to practice surrender? I feel that, that the ego can use surrender to indulge its activities. Say that last bit. I feel that surrender can be what? I feel that the ego can use surrender to indulge in its activity. I'm not sure what you're saying there. A surrendered mind is a flatlined mind. Surrender is a non-doing. I wonder what you think surrender is. I'm definitely not talking about spiritual bypassing. Surrender doesn't allow spiritual bypassing. Surrender destroys the ego. It's the way to higher consciousness. It's the way to enlightenment. It's also the way to the heart. Surrender. The ego doesn't get anything out of surrender. As a matter of fact, it dies. Unconditional surrender is the death of the eye. So I'm not sure what you're talking about. The next question is from a viewer. Do the past and the future exist in the now? <laughs> there is now and there is now. Now, if I don't bring any thought into play, there is now. Now, if I bring thought into play, it might seem like the past is here or the future is here, but that's thought. That's not real. What's here now without a thought? As a matter of fact, here's a good question. Without a thought, who are you? Really?
Next, we have a statement from Kelly Vishrant. I'm a businessman and I respond to problems and then get mad at myself for doing so. It's hard not to, and then I question if I'll ever awake. Can you please comment? Yeah, stop beating yourself up, man. You know, we learn by our mistakes. That's how we all learn. Mistakes are actually an advantage, not a disadvantage. When we have failings, we learn by them. That's how we learn how to walk. That's how we learn everything in life. Never beat yourself up for making mistakes. It's just part of the learning process. You see yourself beating yourself up, stop it. It's not more complex than that. That's it. It's, it's very simple. You see yourself beating yourself up, giving yourself a hard time, stop it. Don't entertain that form of negativity. It doesn't serve you. As a matter of fact, it hurts you. What you're trying to do is supply a negative motivator to motivate you to get a different result. Not a good idea. You end up wounding yourself. You make a mistake. You make a note of the mistake. Don't do it again. Don't ever, ever beat yourself up. Always be your own best friend. Always be your own best friend. You'll find your life is much nicer that way. Next, the question, this question is written by Bhagavi. If we don't think of tomorrow, should one drop all the desires? How do, we, how do we plan our future success, either personal or professional? I love what you're saying, but what I'm saying is a little different. Most people live in their heads continuously procrastinating the future, remembering the past and analyzing. This is not living. This is existing in a mind that is not even real. I'm advocating being present to reality. That doesn't mean that from time to time you don't need to make plans to get things done. You just don't need to continue them. You don't need to continue projecting into the future. You don't need to keep remembering. You don't need to keep reminding yourself or analyzing what is. You can just be here like you were when you're a kid with an adult mind. And it's wonderful because it's wonderment again. There's no wonderment in living in your head, procrastinating a future or remembering a past. I love this moment. Why pollute it? Why not keep it clean? Why create suffering for yourself by living in your mind? Why not be here? The next question has been written by Averroes. Osho, in one of his discourses, have said that Krishna and Mahavir were enlightened in their previous life, but because of their compassion, they chose to be born again. And Osho said that since he was killed in his past life, it took him 21 years to become enlightened in this life. And he also said that he has one attempt left. If he wants to, he can be born again. Please comment. 
So when someone is enlightened, the ego has dropped, it's died, and the ego doesn't come back if it's died before the body uh, dies. But what can bring a person back is the desire. The desire to come back alone will be enough to bring someone back. What happens to someone when they wake up is usually they've found heart before or very soon after awakening. When you find heart, you feel compassion for everybody you meet, you feel empathy for everybody you meet, and you want to help everybody you meet. This is just how the heart affects the mind. And so people who wake up may decide to come back so they can remain a light so others may see. This is the Bodhisattva. And it's done out of compassion, not out of ideology. It's done because someone who's awake cares so deeply for those around them. <laughs> you know, the best answer to this question is wake up and see for yourself. The following question has been written by a viewer. When you talk about the importance of what's real, that makes me install a program that thoughts and dream are bad and wrong. Is this a mistake? The words bad and wrong are probably not the best words to use, but my gosh, I way prefer reality to dream. You know, you've probably all seen The Matrix, the movie The Matrix. Well, that's how most human beings live as adults. They live in a dream inside their mind, not really living, but existing inside a dream. People think The Matrix is outside of themselves. Of course it's not. It's inside of you. It's in your own head. You want out of the matrix of the mind, you put your awareness on what is real. If all you have is your awareness on your thoughts constantly, well, you're living in a matrix. It's not real. And you can't call that living. You can call it existing. But not living. You want to live, have awareness on what's real. And ultimately, if you want to live, have awareness on awareness, consciousness aware of itself. And then you are fully alive. Maybe not so human anymore. Because awareness pure awareness is not human body's human mind's human but what we are is pure awareness pure consciousness and when that becomes aware of itself and stays aware of itself that's enlightenment nothing can touch that it's impeccable The next question is from Averall, who says, will Osho be born again? Hmm. He, <laughs> he doesn't need to be born again because he lit up enough people when he was here for his message to be continued. You see, there's a misunderstanding about what a Buddha is. 
A Buddha is not a person. It is the energy field that occurs when awareness is aware of itself. When someone wakes up, consciousness becomes aware of itself, creates a field of energy called a Buddha field. The Buddha is not a person. It is that presence, that energy field. Osho may come back. I don't know. But he's already here. His message is already here. His light is already here. People think in terms of myself and, and them. We are one. When someone wakes up, they know that to their marrow. We are one. They are just talking or lighting up parts of themselves that are ignorant. Osho is still here. He's in his people. He's in the ones who woke up with him. And he's in the ones who didn't wake up with him. He's here. He can't go anywhere. What he is, what we are, is indestructible. His message continues to this day. His presence is the same presence as anybody who's awake. There isn't different presences. They're all the same. It's all one. People like to individualize. They get caught in personalities, thinking somehow that is enlightenment. No. The personality is simply used to express things. That's not enlightenment. It is the Buddha field that is enlightenment. It is the presence itself that is the Buddha. And it's here. The next question has been written by a viewer. Hi, Vishrant. I'm working on attachment with my son. He's 22 years old and lives with us once a week as he lives with his girlfriend. I feel okay when I refuse to the story of my mind and I'm just in the now and it's very peaceful. But when my husband misses him and says something to me about him, I find it difficult to be in the now. I find him very difficult to see him sad. He says all the kids of his friends and family are living with their parents. He sees them with their children and he feels sad. He says even my son's friends are living with their parents. My son used to be always a very family loving person. Please comment. Well, you have some belief systems there that are causing you some problems. You have a belief that your son should live with you. Is that belief true? I mean, really, have you examined the belief? Just because other people might have their sons living with them, does it make the belief true that your son should be living with you? Because this belief has an expectation attached to it that says he should. And when that's not occurring and you notice it, it brings sadness to you. And it's because, it's not because your son's not living with you. It's because you have a belief that it should be different than how it is. Undo the belief. Take it apart. Is it true? Should your son be living with you? In God's big picture for your son, should he be living with you? 
How would you know? The answer to that is you don't know. So the belief itself is, is rubbish. Undo the belief. In undoing the belief, you're allowing freedom for your son. You're allowing freedom for yourself. As long as you hold on to a belief like that, that things should be different than how they are, you're imprisoning yourself in suffering. Undo the belief and let go. It's not even true, that belief anyway. Just because everyone else might believe it doesn't make it true. What is, is what is. Accept what is and be free. Your choice. The next question is from Avirol. The ego can surrender, expecting it would get something out, but then it would not be surrender. So the ego can never surrender? Oh, heck yeah, it can surrender. But you've got to understand that surrender is an undoing. And so it can't actually learn surrender directly. It learns it by practicing acceptance of life. If we keep practicing acceptance of life, eventually the mind flatlines. If we keep practicing let go, eventually the mind flatlines. Now you could say that's surrendered mind. So someone says something or does something to you and instead of reacting, nothing happens because the mind is surrendered. But that comes about as a result of the practice of let go and acceptance. And if you've not been into the practice of let go and acceptance, well, you're not going to be good at it. We're only good at what we practice. And so a surrendered mind is a mind that has probably been undone completely and has practiced a great deal of let go and a great deal of acceptance. The only difference between a master and a student is the number of practices that have occurred. Usually the number of failures that have occurred. Someone who's a master has failed more than anyone else because that's how we learn. If you practice let go, you get good at it. Up to you. You're the one that has to practice. The next question has been written by a viewer. You said people who are in dream are not living, but only existing. So dreams are not real, but they still exist. Yeah, dreams exist, but they're not real. It's like going to uh, a movie at the cinema and watching the movie up on the screen. You can sit back and you can feel the chair and you can see the people around you and you can eat a bit of popcorn and you can watch the screen and know that it's a screen and know that it's a movie. Or you can get lost and absorbed in the movie completely and think it's real somehow and go through some emotional roller coaster that's been designed to take you on a journey. I love reality. I don't have much interest in going on emotional roller coaster rides. It's beautiful to be here now. It's not beautiful to live in your head because you are never programmed to be happy. You're programmed to survive. You're programmed to be a, probably an efficient machine. But where were you ever programmed to be happy? 
the only way to get happy is to get out of your head. The next question has been written by a viewer. My husband is currently suffering from a heart condition and everything that seemed so important pre-diagnosis really doesn't share the same weight anymore. I still do get caught up pushing myself harder to get ahead, which I see is fear-based thinking. How can I see the totality of the fact that there may not be a tomorrow and that all this striving to do better really doesn't matter? You know, the only way I can answer that question is to talk about my own experience here. You're talking about your husband having a, a heart condition that's changed all your life. Well, it hasn't changed it enough. Friends of mine who are very close to me died. And there was a recognition that we don't actually have a later. We have a now. And that if we push ourselves and hurt ourselves for a later, we're really wasting our lives. There is only now. Find a way to live beautifully now. And the only way I know how to live beautifully now is to live the way of the heart. And that requires that you practice openness. And in that openness, love appears. And then you find a way to serve others because that's what you want to do. When love is present, you just want to take care. This is a beautiful way to live. This is the way of the heart. And this is also a pathway to enlightenment. The next question has been written by Averroll. It happens sometimes that I become present in the moment, but then immediately my mind starts to expect what is going to happen now. Am I going to experience something now? How can I stop this expectation? <laughs> well, you can't really because, well, you can, but you can't. It's like, that's your habit. You're talking about your habit. You're talking about your default pattern of how your mind operates. And meditation and mindfulness training change the patterning. And so if you practice being present long enough to reality, you become present to reality by default. Your default programming is probably to procrastinate, probably to think, probably to live in your head, which is most people's default pattern because they went to school for so many years. To develop a default pattern that is different to the one you've had before, you have to do something different for long enough until it becomes a default pattern. And so most people are closed. In, on some level. And that's a default pattern of closure. To have a default pattern of openness, which is possible, you have to practice openness until it becomes a default pattern. The same is if you have a default pattern of living in your head and dreaming. To change that, you have to develop a pattern of being present to reality. And that takes practice over quite a long time. And then you develop a new pattern of being present to reality. Now, what wonderful patterns they are. 
A default pattern of being open facilitates love. A default pattern of being present. Wow. Then you really live. It's like going back to the age of four where you're just present to everything. Life is wonderment. But there's a bit of work involved. You have to change your default patterns. Up to you. Thinking about it, understanding what I'm saying won't help. The only thing that helps is practice. The following question has been written by a viewer. Acceptance and allowing seems to slowly be dissolving my programs that were put there by authority figures. Discipline to make the mind strong enough to support enlightenment seems like another authoritarian idea and does not bring rest. Letting go and discipline seem to contradict each other. Hmm. Letting go is a discipline. Because we're not, we're programmed to hang on, we're programmed to control, we're programmed to manipulate, we're programmed to defend. Letting go takes a discipline. It has to be practiced. Every time I found something inside of myself that was contracted, I let go. That's a discipline. And that led to a space where my mind started to stop talking to itself, started to become very quiet because it was in a state of let go, not in a state of noise, which was probably part of its program from before. Whatever we practice, we get good at. All you're talking about is what you're good at, what you've practiced. Practice something different, see what happens. If you don't use discipline to, to support that practice, well, nothing will change. Discipline is simply doing something without choice. If you want to have a relaxed mind, you have to learn to let go. It's up to you. It takes discipline to practice let go. If you don't want to, you don't need to. No one's going to make you. It's up to you. But if you don't do anything, if you don't supply discipline, nothing's going to change. Why would it? The default patterns are strong. They'll just continue disturbing you. It's up to you. <laughs> Look, higher consciousness is not easy. It's hard. It's hard to change the default patterns of the mind. It's hard to let go. It's hard to practice openness. It's hard to practice meditation. It, you know, it does become easier as time goes by because it starts to become a default pattern. But in the beginning, it's hard. It requires discipline. Otherwise, nothing changes. The following question has been written by Enrique. How important is diet for seekers? Do you have any suggestions on this? Yeah, diet is important. I accept whatever people do. I don't have a problem with other people. Their decisions are their decisions. But when it comes to diet, I'm basically a vegan, which is uh, a 
a kind of a, a satric way to live. I'm not into killing animals. I'm not into eating animals that have been killed. I don't really push that idea onto other people because other people can do what they like. If there are members of my community, they're probably vegetarians or vegans because it refines you. It finds your energy up. Meat makes your energy gross. It just does. So there's a couple of reasons. One is I don't like the idea of animals being hurt because I love them. The other thing is I, I know that eating animal makes your energy feel gross. It doesn't uh, give you clarity. It clouds you. And there's a third reason on a, on a health thing. As you get older, eating a lot of meat or animal product is not good for you. You're way better off eating, uh, being a vegetarian or a vegan. But that's up to you. Uh, I don't tell people that they have to do anything. It's up to you. In going for higher consciousness, you've got to look for the little percentages that help you. And being a vegetarian, being a vegan helps. Up to you, though. What does help is loving animals. I love animals. They're beings too. The next question has been written by Michelle. Hi Vishrant. I have several nieces and nephews that are ready to start school in the next six to 12 months. I see them all such free spirits, but my family see it's exciting that they will be put in boxes by wearing uniforms and what they will be learning, etc. Is there some ways that I can keep their free spirits alive to be able to remind them who they are while they're going through their schooling? Yep. You see, the thing that kids learn from, particularly up until school age, are their parents. They role model off them. If you're a free spirit, if you're open, if you're a wild one, they'll copy you. Whatever you're like, they're going to role model off. They don't have much choice in that. None of us did. So if you're a free spirit, they're going to be a free spirit. You're the role model. You're the one they're going to learn their original default patterns from. It's up to how you are around them. How free are you? How wild are you? How open are you? Because they're going to role model off you. The next question has been written by a viewer on YouTube. Do I need blocks of meditation sessions or is the practice of mindfulness and openness at every moment alone enough? Heck yeah, that's enough. <laughs> if you do it every moment. <laughs> uh, I used to formally meditate at night time after my family had gone to sleep because it was difficult during the day. I was busy. 
And so my family would go to sleep around 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night and I'd meditate till one o'clock in the morning after they'd gone to sleep because I love meditation. But I found that meditation was easy for me because during the daytime, I was very present to what was real. I've never really liked dreaming much. I love reality. And so the idea is to be present as you can to everything around you. Get out of your head. Be with what is real. Formal meditation is great. But how about meditation every moment? How about being present to what is real all the time? We can do it. <laughs> Try it. See. Get out of your head. Look at what's around you. Listen to the sounds. Feel the air. Be with what is real instead of what is not. Make a habit of being with what is real. And ultimately, what is real is your own true nature. Pure awareness. And so by witnessing the mind, you start to find you are the witness. You start to find you are that awareness. What a wonderful methodology. Just watching the mind. Just being the witness. Instead of getting involved in the stories, just watch the mind like you would a wild animal to see what it does, to see what its characteristics are, to see what its behaviours are. You just watch the mind. Don't judge it. Don't get involved with it. Just watch it. See where that takes you. So I loved watching the mind. My mind gets uh, witnessed now, but it's, it's not moving. It's very quiet. But if it did move, it would be seen. You witness the mind. You see right through it. You see all its agendas. You see all its belief systems. You see all its defense systems. You're now becoming more conscious. You're now actually raising your consciousness levels simply by witnessing the mind. This is brilliant. So there's a couple of different methodologies that I love. Witnessing the mind is a beautiful one. Meditation itself, being present to what is real is very beautiful. Practicing openness is a lovely way to live. Self-inquiry, asking the question, who am I or who's aware, is awesome for turning awareness back onto itself. These are all spiritual practices that can help you raise your consciousness levels towards enlightenment. Openness is wonderful because it allows you to start perceiving your own, your own heart and love. You start to see all defense systems as uh, barriers, all defense systems as obstacles, so you remove them. You start to walk through the world vulnerable, open, fresh. Your whole life changes. This is the beauty of the way of the heart. But it only happens now. Not later, not before, now. Thank you for satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here today. <laughs>